This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to Hello and welcome to Colloquium. We're back here on a fine Saturday morning. I'm here with Nick. That's your cue, Nick. Oh, hey Dylan, what's going on? And, well, you can't hear him. He doesn't have a mic, but... A special guest is back. He's he's miming right now. <laughs> special guest, the one and only, the Dan. The producer Dan, back after a long hiatus. Here he is. He's producing, doing his thing. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're here. We're back at it. That's right, yeah. Just like yeah. the good old days. Yeah, welcome back, Dan. He's uh, shaking his head. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, Dan is uh, seriously is an amazing part of our community, so we're grateful to have him for uh, the past... Uh, month or two here in town before he goes back off to college yeah a little known fact about dan he's actually mute not a lot of people know that, <laughs> so that's why you never hear his voice on the show when except for here. when he sings at the end of our show yeah well that's strange yeah so so dan for those of you who don't know actually i imagine we have new listeners who have no idea who we're talking about right now but the dan the one and only dan fox is our producer who has not been featured on the last like year's worth of shows because he's been in grad school. But for probably the first 10 shows or so, he was there for everyone. He We didn't know what we were doing sound-wise, um, so he just did his thing, put microphones in front of us, pampered us, made us coffee, like did everything. <laughs> and then he up and went to grad school, and I had to like, learn how to do sound and stuff. And so if it doesn't sound as good, that's, that's why. Um, but yeah, Dan's back. He's here for the summer, and we're... We're enjoying having him around, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. Man, that was a pretty significant shout-out for Dan. Though. Yeah, I'm not done talking about him either. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that concert, man. <laughs> <laughs> Saw him perform with his band Fax Machine, and that was, uh, man, I, it's, there's something about seeing, seeing a good friend do something he loves. and hmm. um, Really good band, by the way, and they're on Spotify now. I don't know if you want me to plug all this, but I'm plugging it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Other news, we have stickers. Yes, we do. So you so, may have seen. Yeah, did you want? You yeah, I was going to say, Dylan uh, had the audacity to uh, charge me $5 for our stickers. Yeah. But for our fans, they're so, free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have this new logo. Those of you who follow us on, on Instagram have probably seen. Um, super stoked about it. Shout out to Emily, uh, for our good friend, Emily Thomason, for making that design for us um you can also see her on episode a few episodes back we we talked to her about femininity so check that out um but yeah really grateful to have this logo and have stickers and maybe a mug and i mean the logo is a mug so it'd be kind of strange to have like a logo of a mug on a mug but Mm. we're gonna find a way to make that work i think yeah that would be fun though anyway nick's gonna hand paint it (laughs) right yeah um, so that's awesome. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll probably do a giveaway with stickers so you guys can get some at some point. But they're pretty cool. Um, let's see other news before we jump into our topic. Uh, do you know do you know what I mean here when I when I put Latin mass? No, I don't. <laughs> so, do you, do you know I, what I saw Latin you know what mass. Okay, this is like yeah, the, he's heard of one. Dan this says this is the All big right. news in the the Catholic world. So I want to be relevant, so I put it down. Um, but. Pope Francis just yesterday, um, as the day we're recording this, just yesterday, um, issued a motu proprio, which is a document from the Pope, basically undoing the um, motu proprio that Benedict the Sixteenth had put out, that basically expanded the Latin Mass um, and allowed any priest to celebrate it. Um, basically, put all the original restrictions that were on it before two thousand seven hmm. um, back on it. So. Basically, it's going to make it really difficult to start a new Latin Mass anywhere. Um, a lot of the ones that are currently going on, I think, are still going to be like, you know, most Latin Mass parishes, as long as they still have permission from their bishop, probably won't be affected. But there's also a lot of questions about how to exactly interpret it and how much it'll imply. But Nick, I know you're not super liturgically minded, but um, definitely the Latin Mass folks are not super stoked about this. Yeah, no, I I imagine that would bring forth a lot of controversy in the church. So, uh, um, yeah. Anyway, that's the first I've heard of it. Yeah, that's we're not here to talk about the Latin Mass, but that's uh, that's us being relevant. Indeed, it is. 
<laughs> I do that with my kids too. The students I teach, I just look up. What are the kids talking about <laughs> these right. days? And then I'll bring it up to be hip. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? I don't actually do that. But All right, Nick, what's our topic today? Yeah, we're talking about classical education. So um, translated, um, Dylan will be talking 90% of the time and I'll be talking for 10. <laughs> no, no, no. no uh, yeah, I think this is especially a, a topic close to your heart, um, the specific type of education, way of uh, drawing the best out of out of uh the youth and students. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it as well. Cause it's something that, uh, yeah, I've been contemplating a little bit also. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It is a topic near and dear to my heart and I can talk about inside and out and backwards, but, um, yeah, I think we both have experience in education and to some degree plan to have a future in education. And, um, so I'm excited to have this conversation about what is, you know, what should an education look like? What does a Catholic education look like? And I think it's, primarily going to be shaped around the the classical tradition of Catholic education. And we'll talk more about what exactly that means. Um, but I think I want to just kind of open up with just talking about education more generally. Um, you and I, Nick, had very different educations growing up, I think. Uh, you Were were you entirely public school? Uh, I went to Catholic school when I was in kindergarten. But outside oh, of that, uh, yeah, public school completely. Was that in Alabama? No, it was not. Okay. I went to, uh, my, my father was in the Army, and we lived in West Point for a couple years. That's it was sick. at a, uh, wow. a Catholic school just outside of West Point. Yeah. I did not know that. That's right, yeah. So cool. I'm Catholic. What do you remember from Catholic <laughs> kindergarten? Uh, so I do remember going to Mass during certain weekdays, um, very vaguely. Yeah. Um, I remember that it was particularly boring. Uh, just mm. <laughs> I was very, very yeah. bored in the pew. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I can remember making the walk across the parking lot to our church. Um, what else? Uh, I remember uh, at the Catholic school outside in the parking lot after school one day, like an older kid cheated me out of like a really good Pokemon card. I traded, yeah, I traded him uh, for like a, a lesser, Dang. clearly lesser Pokemon card because he said it was a good trade. Wow, that's so. Uh, that's actually really funny. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's kind of a, a wound that I have from Catholic school. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sharing yeah, my heart here. Dang, do you remember the Pokemon? <laughs> yeah, I traded a. Uh, <laughs> I traded a Poliwrath. No, no. I had a Charizard. Sounds like a geometry term. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Poliwrath. I had a Charizard. It was like one of the best cards in the uh -huh. game, and I think I traded it for like. No, no, hang on. I had a Mewtwo, and I traded it for a Polyrath. This is terrible. It's a terrible, it was a terrible on, trade. I don't yeah. even know Pokemon. Yeah, I know yeah. Dan's trade. over here like, what were you thinking? <laughs> Dude, Mewtwo is like the Pokemon. I know. Yeah, I was yeah, messed up. But gracious. Anyway. Gosh. Yeah, that is a major wound. Yeah. yeah. Do you pray so. about that still? <laughs> I think about it from time to time. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay, so you went to a Catholic kindergarten. I did, yeah. And then public first through 12. First through 12. And then Catholic University. That's correct. So I kind of had the, well, not quite the reverse of that, but um, I went to, ca uh, not Catholic, but Baptist kindergarten. I didn't know that. I went to the kindergarten of the school that Dan Fox actually went to. Okay. Um, but I don't know if he was there at the time or not. Probably not. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, and uh, then I went to Catholic first through 12th grade. And then I went to Baptist University. So I had a little Baptist Catholic sandwich right there. That's right. The same yeah, thing yeah. for me, except you're Catholic Baptist. public sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but so that, that was my education. Um, but um, I guess it was, it, I guess we want to talk about positive aspects, right? So my education was, I had a lot of really, I, I overall very positive impression. Um, I really enjoyed Catholic school. Um, especially high school. I had the choice of where I went to high school and ended up choosing Catholic high school. And it, it had a big impact on me. I found my faith there, um, which was huge. Um, I liked most of my classes. High school, maybe we'll get into this more, but it kind of just boring in general for 90% of people. Hmm. And I loved school. Like I was somebody I loved learning. But even then, like something about the way we do school, I think is unnecessarily boring sometimes. Um, but overall, really grateful for the education, um, not without its fallbacks, but um, overall, I think really positive. I don't know. What, what would you say about your, your secular education, you heathen? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's kind of tough to uh, summarize it in a couple sentences about what I think about my education, because to be quite honest, I haven't really thought about um, in too much depth yeah. the way I was educated or 
how, what kind of influence that had on me, you know, uh, especially when I was going through it. I, I just thought that that's the way that people were educated, right. you know, the you normal also, public system. You like, so, you're only educated in one way. You don't really that's right. have like yeah. a comparison. There's not much to compare it to from firsthand experience. Yeah. yeah. And just to reiterate, to be quite honest, I didn't know that there was another way to educate, you know, yeah. growing up. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was the way that mm-hmm. it worked. Um, but I would say, uh, just looking back, I, I mean, I, I definitely, I hope I learned things growing up in <laughs> secular education. Um, yeah, I, I would say my most positive experiences were in college. I had a very, um, it's funny, uh, but I, maybe my most impactful class in college was probably my introductory logic class, which mm. ties in very mm. much to what we're yeah. going to talk about today. Um, yeah, I just remember learning so much about how my mind works and about how arguments right. work on paper, you know, and, um, it taught me how to think it really did. Um, yeah. Or at least revealed about things about the way that I think already, you yeah. know, so, uh, a very positive impact on, in that class. And then, uh, just, um, uh, in college too, I had, um, a particular friend, um, who we used to hang out and work math problems together. And it was just like a very, um, community That's centered so way to, uh, yeah, it was, it was nerdy. We just had like a very community centered way to, um, yeah, to work, do our homework. And it just became about learning, um, not about getting the, getting the grade, whatever wow. it became about, huh. you know, just for the, uh, I don't know, the joy of, you know, coming to the end of a, uh, math problem or whatever. So yeah. both of those things, actually, even though I had a secular sort of education, both of those things are very much tied to classical education. It looks like. So, yeah. Well. Gosh, that's so interesting. Cause that, yeah, that is going to get into exactly what we're talking about, but just that like developing that love for learning that I, I think for a lot of people, maybe if it happens, it happens to some extent in college, right? Cause college is when you get to take classes that you're most interested in. Right. Um, and so you can kind of focus in a little bit more on your interests, um, I think. But I think we can do that sooner. I think that's sure. Um, that's the way things are. But I don't think that's the way things have to be. Um, and I think we'll talk more about that when it gets to the classical model. Um, but are there any like particular like that's all something you kind of discovered in college? Is there any like right. I guess particular drawbacks that you've noticed, like oh, I wish I would have learned that, or wish I would have learned that sooner. Before before college, yeah, yeah that, that that's a good point. I will say, um, I did feel very much like a utilitarian sort of student oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. in high school, especially in high school. Can you explain what you mean by utilitarian? Yeah. Uh, so I just felt like I was I was there for the purpose of um, making the A in every class that I was in. You know, that was my. Um, kind of maybe that's utilitarian is the wrong word but it was very much about um getting the a and producing the results right um and i mean that had a a very negative effect on me in high school mentally actually yeah um you know so i remember you know tangibly having the experience of i have to get the a or else kind of a thing it was about that it wasn't about learning right um i think also I, i i do feel uh as though there was pretty much zero integration of my classes you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, from taking geometry to being in my English class to, you know, learning biology. Um, it was very, uh, very, uh, individual, yeah. all of the classes, you know, there was no right. collaboration whatsoever between them. So, right. Yeah. yeah. You're playing right in my hand here because everything you're mentioning is going to be like a part of the classical tradition is to emphasize the opposite. Right. Um, so I love, I love what you're saying. Gosh, it's, it's, I think that's very typical, um, that utilitarian mindset. You know, we were talking earlier before the show about like the line of questioning where, okay, I think it's really helpful to talk to any student about or any person about in general of like, okay, let's say you're a high school student. Why do you want to get an A, right? Because that's like the, it's like you got to get an A, right? There's a lot of pressure to that. Okay. Well, why do you want to get an A? And the line of questioning usually goes, well, because I want to get into good college, right? Okay. Well, why do you want to get into good college? Because I want to get a good job. Why do you want to get a good job? Because I want to make money, right? Um, and then once you get to that point, it's like, okay, it, I think you get to a point where you can actually ask deeper, more significant questions. Okay, well, well why do you want to make money, right? Um, because I don't think a lot of times people actually think past that. It's just, oh, well, money will make me happy or maybe in a less superficial way, like, right, money will allow me to provide for my family, you know, which might make me happy or might help me fulfill my purpose. Right. But it, it, you can start to get people when you, when you push past that 
and continue to question like, okay, why ultimately, what is the purpose of why am I trying so hard in school, right? I think you can get to the underlying motives of, okay, well, what are you, what are you seeking at the end of the day? What is it? What is the kind of life that you want to live? Hmm. And I think those are questions that, that we need to ask, but I don't think we're asking a lot of high schoolers. Um, I don't think we're asking a lot of kids in general. We ask them, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? But not, why do you want to do it? Or like, what's the greater purpose in all of it? Yeah, or who do you want to be? You know, what kind yeah. of person do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who do you want to be? Like, like, do you want to be a good person? What does it mean to be a good person? That's right. Right? That's something you can talk about for hours and hours on end. What does it mean to be a good person? Um, but I don't know that those those kinds of questions are generally fostered in the kind of utilitarian approach to education that let's face it that's that's what we do in america um yeah i would say too even you know just in the the way our culture is flowing now in a real really relativistic sense like they're mm. the idea of what a good person is is very different from person to person yeah so how is a right. public school supposed to you know help students along and being a good person when that's different for every student you yeah know, there's no there's no way to do that yeah do you see what's going on here? My, yeah, what? <laughs> my chair is a, I warned Nick and Dan before the show, my chair likes to sink Dylan, down. So Dylan just got a lot shorter. He's like, yeah, I had to look up at the mic. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and asking those questions and answering them, at least striving after answers is yeah. really important. Um, so I want to get into to what exactly, what is this classical model of education? Um, and then we can look at kind of how does this, I think, solve some of the, the problems we're talking about. Sure. So this is my summary. Um, so I, what's my experience like? Well, I kind of encountered this approach to education that we might call classical um, in college. Was in a program that um, utilized a lot of these methods from from classical education, um, and it really just op- it changed my my world. Um, it was it had a huge impact on me. I think it taught me how to think. It taught me how to ask good questions. Um, it exposed me to um, ways of growing, like through education, actually becoming a better person. Um, and that was something that I think always growing up was kind of those two were separated, right? You know, it's like, well, you learn to fill your head with knowledge and then like being a good person, that's separate, right? But kind of seeing knowledge as something that actually can, can help me become who I'm supposed to be. Um, so there are a lot of aspects of that that really changed me, plus just the content of it I, I really loved. Um, and since then, I've learned more and more about this approach and everything I've learned I've, I've loved. Um, but what is this approach? Um, a few things. I say, one, it's, it's an emphasis on, on what you might call like the Western tradition or the Western intellectual tradition. So you're reading the great books of Western civilization from Plato and Aristotle to um, the great authors of the West today. So that includes, you know, the Christian tradition of Augustine and Aquinas. It includes uh, the Enlightenment thinkers. It includes, um, you know, the greatest 20th century writers. Um, so you're reading these people who are actually in dialogue with each other and are responding to each other, right? So, and you can kind of study history and as well as philosophy, as well as English, as well as literature, right? All of these are kind of blended into one as you trace this history of Western thought, which I think gets at the kind of interdisciplinary or lack thereof nature of education that you were alluding to, where when you study the Western tradition, it, um, it becomes naturally interdisciplinary, right? Because philosophers are talking to writers, are talking to mathematicians, are talking to scientists, right? These these discussions are being had across discipline and the way the program was for me that I was in, it was, um, and Dan was in this program as well. So he's very familiar with this, but like you're in a class, a learning community where you're taking the same classes with the same people and they're not all in the same majors. So there, you know, you have pre-med students, you have, um, pre-law students, you have business students, you have classics majors, you have English majors, right? So you're having this dialogue across disciplines. So that's kind of the first aspect is, is studying, you know, the great texts of, of Western civilization. Yeah. Can I say a word about that for a second? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. yes. Oh, okay. That was confusing. Um, one word. <laughs> one word. No, uh, yeah, 
I, I love the emphasis on on the great books. It's uh, been kind of a particular yeah. passion of mine lately, you know. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that kind of has struck me about that is just kind of the um, the common thread of all of them are considering life's deepest questions. Right. You know, there are. I mean, all of them are from you know Dostoevsky to Charles Dickens and you know Flannery mm-hmm. O'Connor, whoever it is. You know, right. they're they're all like you know, considering life's biggest questions, which is so kind of countercultural to our age, you know, um, we're just kind of where we seem to be stuck in superficiality as a general rule. So it just kind of encourages and, you know, Hey, the, some of the greatest minds in history were considering these questions and it's okay to think about those things, you know, and uh, it's okay to form your own, you know, to, to move towards your own, own thoughts on those sorts of questions too, you know, so it encourages a lot of amazing depth of thought, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and I think just discovering that those texts are more relevant to your life than you might think. Right. Right. And maybe that's, you know, on a practical level, like, you know, Shakespeare, right? You know, it's it's reading that with students in, in high school and middle school, college, wherever it might be, right? It can be tough to get through, right? But there usually becomes a point when you're reading Shakespeare and you realize, wait, like, you know, if you're you're a teenage, angsty teenage you know, romantic or whatever, just general person who's having hormones and, you know, dealing with, with everything it means to be a teenager, right? There's a lot of like, a lot of that angst in Shakespeare, you know? Right. Um, even if it's something is, you know, romantic relationships are sometimes superficial, sometimes very deep, right? But those are things that are often on the minds of teenagers. Yeah. And when you realize that, like, those kinds of things are the things these great writers are actually contemplating. Um, I think can be a, a really profound realization. That's right. Yeah. It seems like the great books do have, um, maybe that's a sort of definition of the great books is that despite mm-hmm. what time they're in, they have a sort of universality to the human experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that. It's a great, yeah. great point there. Yeah. Actually, um, you you sent me the recent Word on Fire episode. They're kind of talking about this. Okay, the, the great books. I forgot. Um, um, who's the lady from the University of Dallas that Bishop Barron was interviewing? Oh, Jessica Hoop Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was an incredible conversation. Yeah. But yeah. they were talking about like what what counts as a great book, right? And, like, yeah, they were talking about how um, just how important the great books are. Are you saying I stole that from her? Or? No. Okay. <laughs> Probably did. Let's be no, honest. No, I was just trying to make a connection. I mean, usually you bring up Bishop Barron, you didn't. You're so right. I yeah, figured good I point. would. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, so can, can we move on to the, the next big aspect, I think? That sounds good. Sorry. Um, so focus on, I lump these together, focus on both virtue and the transcendentals. Um, so we talked about the transcendentals on the show before, truth, goodness, and beauty. Actually, we didn't talk about what I've, I've recently kind of discovered unity is sometimes considered the fourth hmm. transcendental, um, which we talked like truth, goodness, and beauty are like one, right, which yeah. kind of encaptures that, but pursuing those things, right? Why do we learn in the first place? Well, it's, it's cause we want to learn what is true, good, and beautiful and, and contemplate it, um, and discover it. And then also focus on virtue, right? So what, what does it mean to be a good person? What, it, what does, what is virtue, right? What are habits that we want to cultivate? Um, and so these are things that, again, the, the greatest minds in the history of civilization have thought long and hard about and put into practice, right, in their right. lives. And so discovering that um, and discussing that, right, um, I think gets at the greater purpose of education, right? Because whether you're an engineer, a scientist, a doctor, a teacher, a nurse, whatever it might be, right? Um, at the heart of why you do what you do, I think comes back to virtue and the transcendentals. Is that fair to say? I think so. Yep. I have no other thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Number three. Um, and this, this will get into, I think, correcting some of the, the challenges of, or shortfalls of education, as you've pointed out. Um, but learning as a good in and of itself this is what I'm really passionate about. So modern education is utilitarian. You learn to get a job to make money, right? That's really how it's, how it's approached in most places. Um, well, it wasn't really till college, partially through this program I was in, partially through actually getting to 
you know, take classes that I chose a little bit more that I was more specifically interested. But I realized, wait, I I don't just learn just to get a job, right? I don't learn just to get the degree. Like I actually like learning. Now, that doesn't mean you have to like every aspect of learning, right? Sometimes it's hard work to learn to study. But there's actually something good in and of itself um, about learning. And this is something I think I, I discovered, especially in like going back from my master's degree and, and realizing, I remember telling people, specific people like, oh, well, why, why are you doing that? Why are you doing a master's in theology? Like, well, in, in a sense, so that I can teach, right? But I actually am already teaching, right? Um, so really why I'm doing it, I just want to. I just want to learn it. Like at the end of the day, if it does nothing else for me, I would still do it. If it doesn't get me a raise, if it doesn't get me a job, right, I'd still do it because I've discovered this love for learning um, in recent years. And and I think that that flies in the face of what a lot of people, how a lot of people approach it because that's not, it's, it's strange. People are like, oh, well, what are you going to do with that? It's like, it doesn't matter. Huh. Uh, but I don't think that's how we're trained to think about education. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, this one's a tough one for me. It gives me a little bit of a pause because I hmm. – um, I think I heard from St. Bernard of Clairvaux once. Um, yeah, he talked to me face to face. No, I, re- <laughs> I read from him once that uh, um, like education, the learning is for the purpose of charity. Mm. Like if you're going to learn something, mm. I guess I guess his thought was it shouldn't be in and of itself. It should be for the purpose mm. of charity. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like if you're going to go to, I think maybe an example is if you're going to go to grad school um, to learn you know, I'm a math guy. So if you're going to go to, if I'm going to go to grad school for statistics, just because I want to learn statistics, Mm. seems like I would need to have a charitable, a charitable reason why I would want to go do that um, in order to learn. So I'm, I'm kind of, I've kind of with you. Learning is a good enough itself. I I love learning also. Um, but it seems like there is a end. What is it? What is it for? It seems like there should be anyway, if you know, uh, in this, in this method of education. Yeah. I think that's actually a great distinction. Uh, can we flesh that out a little bit? So like what, sure. what, um, cause I think you're right. Right. I don't, I don't think maybe saying learning as a good in and of itself is the, the best way to express that. Um, what, you know, why is it then if it's not for its own sake, why then do you want to learn? Like what's the, what's the greater purpose? Yeah, I think, uh, ultimately it would be to, to love God. Um, I, when okay. I, when I learn, I learn about the world. I learn about human beings. I learn mm-hmm. about God's, you know, God and his creation, you know, and ultimately mm-hmm. it should lead to that. Right. I, I think when, when we say learning in and of itself, I think what we mean is we like, we want to know God in and of himself. Right. We want to, yeah. is kind of that, what, is that fair? Is that kind of yeah, what no, I think, I mean, think, ultimately, I think by saying that I'm trying to get away from, we learn to get a job. Right. Right, yeah. Um, because That's I right. think it's something greater. It's not solely for its own sake. I mean, I think of, you know, why do I... I think you you hit the nail on the head, like, ultimately, to to know and love God better, yeah. right? But I, th- I think there's also maybe some intermediate steps there, like, like, you know, why do I learn, right? Well, it brings me some sort of joy, right? It brings... Sure. There's something I, I acknowledge as good in learning, right? It's not necessarily for its own sake, but there's something beyond just because I want to acquire this skill because it'll make right. me money or, or whatever, right? Certainly not utilitarian. That's what we're trying to move away from. Yeah, learning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Solely for the sake of, right. of a job, et cetera. Um, but I think it's worth contemplating a little bit more. Um, I'll have to think more about that. But yeah, definitely um, there is a good that you encounter in learning. Sure. Um, and that good leads you to more than just a job. Yeah, it's not a tool. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. Learning. Right. <laughs> sure yeah. to say it. Well, and I think that's where if we we backtrack a little bit to like the transcendentals and virtue, right? Like learning is something that actually can cultivate virtue, right? So it can make me a better person. The discipline that it takes to learn, the actual subject matter I learn, right? Right. Knowledge can help you to grow um, in virtue, right? You learn about how other people. Um, developed virtue you can develop virtue yourself but also like the transcendentals right contemplating truth goodness and beauty that's actually a huge part of learning right yeah um you know you think go back go back to the great books even right you know you and i know have had experiences where 
you know, you're reading something and it just, it just strikes you right. with, with the beauty of what you read. Um, and you just, you just want to contemplate it. Right. So you would do that even if you weren't working towards a job, right? You would, you would want That's to right. learn from reading just for the sake of that, that contemplation, the good that you encounter there. In fact, we do that. You know, a lot, most, or many of, I don't want to say most of us, but many, many of us read yeah. and do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You and I both read a lot. Um, but that doesn't have to be just with, I think you and I experience that through literature. Absolutely. But you know, that can be with, with, you know, math as well. I don't know. I know my brother always talks about how, how beautiful he thinks math is. I think he's yeah. crazy, but <laughs> no, yeah, I uh, have an experience of, uh, I taught algebra and geometry when I was a teacher for a year and algebra, not so much. It was a little bit more work for me to teach that, but geometry, I was, I was finding myself being moved by as I was moving through the lessons mm. and, um, you know, just kind of getting a like sense a, of, you know, a, know. a square, nothing yeah. like a triangle, <laughs> <laughs> the Trinity. Am I right? <laughs> No, uh, yeah, just moving through like how ordered the the universe is, and yeah, um, just how things flow mm. together numerically. Right, right, yeah. I, I think you're right. It's it's funny <laughs> to joke about, but I think <laughs> making a cringe face over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah theology. I I know you're right too, yeah. but I can't knock. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just when when PJ talks, my brother did his dissertation on topology, which I don't even understand what it is. Me but it has to do with abstract shapes and like literally when he starts talking about it, I like I can't I can't pay attention. It's just like <laughs> I don't know what you're I'm totally about. with you. Yeah, I try for like a minute. And it's just like he lost me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but math is beautiful. I'll I'll grant you that. Okay. Um, and that's, and I guess the last point on, on that learning is a good and of itself is just, that's very different, I think, from the way that we're trained to think about education, right? Um, and right. if we do think about education in that way, it's very secondary. It's not the primary purpose, yeah. right? I'm with you. Um, I mean, I just think of, you know, whenever you're in high school, middle school asking, hey, why are we learning this? Like, if the answer isn't because you're going to use it in your job one day, yeah, it doesn't satisfy. Seriously, yeah. Right. We're trained to think in that way. That's only how is this going to help me get a job? Yeah. And I think there's something wrong with that. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. I think the, the next aspect here, um, number four, I've got five points. The fourth point is that it's discussion based. Classical education is very often discussion based. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're often, um, not that there aren't lectures, but it's not, lectures aren't the focus, right? That's not the primary way in which you learn in a classical model of education. Um, you learn rather through often reading a text and then discussing it, right? So the teacher plays a role that is is less, like I said, less lecture-based and more guiding the discussion. So this is where you think of like the Socratic method, right? This is why in the classical tradition you often start with Plato and Aristotle. Um, you study Socrates, um, how he taught his students, and how he taught his students was by questioning, right? So as a teacher in a classical approach to education, you ask a lot of questions. Um, and you train your students to ask questions as well, to ask the right questions, to ask good questions. And then they learn through discussing, through experimenting with ideas. So maybe you're reading... Plato's allegory of the cave, which I actually do with my students, you know, and you're asking them questions about, you know, how, you know, what is the human experience, right? Um, what is our relationship to reality? You know, what is, you know, how did Plato think about our relationship to reality? Um, and they start to think, they start to think deeply about these questions. They experiment with ideas. You know, you can ask them, well, do you think that, you know, the, the real world, you know, is, you know, reality is what we experience in front of us or is what we experience in front of us, like Plato would say, you know, maybe only kind of a reflection or a shadow of reality. Um, abstract way of thinking about it, but you can break it down into simpler terms. So students then get the opportunity to play around with ideas, to be wrong, right? To make assertions, to debate, um, and through that process, I think they can learn a lot, um, through that process, they learn to ask questions. They learn to attempt to answer questions. Um, and it's a lot of trial and error sometimes, but, um, through discussion, I think 
maybe experientially you can you can attest to this too but like through discussing ideas that's often where we learn things right um i think of times maybe it's coming to men's group or coming to um just discuss something with a friend that i've been contemplating right and by discussing with them, I realized maybe actually, you know, they say something that made me realize I was wrong about the way I was thinking about it. Hmm. Um, or, but it's through that act of discussing where I think we learn more, right? Because we can actually encounter somebody else's ideas that might challenge us in the way that we're thinking. Yeah, it seems like uh, in our like learning for the purpose of getting the A and getting a job of like destroys this type of discussion in the in the classroom. Hmm. And I think the reason is because I know I've been a part of you know, um, classes where like discussion was attempted by the teacher and <laughs> just, you know, students are just not engaged, including me, like students aren't really interested in having any sort of conversation about the content because the kind of the mindset is, okay, like Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. Jedlovic, like how can I get the A? Like, mm-hmm. just let's quit right. talking about this. I don't yeah. really care about the learning or the content. I'm just, I'm ready to, you know, plop down the correct answers on the test or, you know, finish my essay or whatever it is. So just kind of generating a utilitarian mindset towards learning destroys this kind of ability to have a discussion in a classroom. Right. Um, it's it's always going to be forced and and uh, unproductive with that kind of, again, with the learning as a right. tool kind of mindset. Yeah, and I think experientially as a teacher, the reason, you know, how I've seen that this is important is that students, people in general, we learn when we're when we care about something, when we've actually directly engaged with it, right? I see this so much with high schoolers. If I I could lecture about something, I could give the same lecture three times. And if they haven't engaged with it, if they haven't like really cared about it while they're listening, often they won't remember any of it. Hardly right. any of it. But if they engage with it in a way that involves asking questions in a way that they're actually like playing around with the ideas they're thinking it through they're discussing it they're actively engaged in the discussion they can remember it like that um so for example this is something i do you know and i've realized this over time like how hard it is for something i think any anyone who studied education will tell you this right you have to make meaningful connections in your mind and it's a lot easier to make meaningful connections when you're involved in the discussion, when you're discussing it, than simply listening. So this is a challenge as an educator, but something I strive to do is if we're having a discussion in class and they get way off topic, but they're interested, I stay there. I, w- I let them talk about that, right? Because they're engaged and they're going to learn something from that. They're going to learn more from that, chasing, you know, a rabbit trail about whether dogs go to heaven or not, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to learn more about theology from that than if I actually get through the material that I plan to. Yeah. And they do learn more. And so I think think this discussion-based nature is so important just from a, a a sheer, like, pedagogical approach, right? If you want them to remember what they're learning, you have to involve them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be extremely tangential, but I mean, what do you, as a teacher, like, what do you, I'm just imagining someone who wants to, you know, have this type of environment in their classroom who teaches at a public school, which Mm -hmm. let's be honest, we need great teachers in public schools, you know, they don't have this type of model. And uh, like, what do they do to kind of reverse the Mm -hmm. utilitarian kind of, um, again, mindset that these students have, you know, right. in their classroom without removing the obvious obligation to give them a grade, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. how do you do that? I just, it's, it seems very difficult to me to generate authentic discussion when yeah. everything, when the, the stream is very against you and, yeah. um, all of the other classes yeah. are otherwise. Yeah. I, I can tell you what I do. Um, I strongly intensive, uh, incentivize participation. So it's like 30% of my grade. So, they can't actually do well in the class. Like it's going to be hard to get an A if they don't actually ask questions or answer questions. And that it takes time, like in and, and it and it's a it's an uphill battle. Like they're not super engaged the first few weeks, right? Um the problem with teenagers too is they're so self-conscious. They're worried about being judged for everything they say. But by the third or fourth quarter, right? They're they're engaged. Um, you know, it's, it's more having to get them to shut up and stay on task. 
than pulling teeth to get them engaged. Um, and that's not, you know, every, they have good days and bad days, but, um, that's one thing I do is they're actually graded on engaging in class rather than graded on memorizing facts, which I think makes a big difference. So my, uh, uh, just to push back a little bit, okay. and I, I've thought I have a similar experience too. In, in uh, high school, I remember vividly uh, in my honors English class in tenth grade of like, you had to raise your hand twice per class to get mm-hmm. you know the, your participation grade, which yeah, is in my opinion is just very cringy. just raise I'm your like, hand. Well, you, you had to say something. Answer. You had to okay. raise your <laughs> question, yeah, or um, participate in the discussion. Yeah. But doesn't that create a utilitarian kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. culture around? Uh, around the discussion itself you know which i mean still serves right. the purpose of um yeah yeah i mean let me, yeah let me flesh out my okay. my thought yeah, because yeah. i think what what we're trying to do at the end of the day is as educators and you know i'm a coach so I'm, you know i consider myself an educator um is like we're trying to root that out we're trying to root out the um even discussion as a tool that's the exact opposite of what we want we want discussion yeah. for the sake of of the learning and of knowing god and loving god yeah that's so it. my response to that i think that what happens though yes you're incentivizing them i get that right it's creating another incentive structure for them to do something just to get a grade that's that's true that's a valid critique but i think what happens is that somewhere along the way they actually can discover yeah. a love for learning and they're more likely to discover a love for learning through that than through incentivizing memorizing facts. You're right. I, I understand like that. I, uh, that would be what I would, that would be my rebuttal to my own. Pushback, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, like you have to do it somehow. Like you have to like that student in the back that, uh, um, you know, doesn't want to participate and they're just lethargic and, um, like you, you have to engage that student somehow. And if like, that's the way that you have to get the conversation started with them, that's kind of how you have to do it. I, I don't know if that's the best yeah. way to think about it, but that's, that's kind of what I would say to my own, my own challenge. Is that right. what you're saying? Kind of? Yeah. No, 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 absolutely. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's not necessarily easy to implement, but right. I think if, even if you're having to use incentives to do it, I think it's worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so the fifth, uh, the fifth principle I put here is something we've touched on a little bit, but the in- interdisciplinary nature of it. Um, so classical education often takes an interdisciplinary approach, which means the um, subjects are in dialogue with each other. Um, my favorite way that this is manifested in a lot of classical schools is that history and English are often taught as the same class. Mm. They're lumped together in a class called the humanities. And in this, they're actually, so like I said, they're studying history and English in the same classroom, in the same class. Um, It's the same subject. So you're reading, you're rather than studying history through a textbook, you're reading the primary sources. Um, So let's say you're studying the history of ancient Rome. You're reading Plato, or not, Plato would be Greece. Um, you're reading Livy. You're re- reading Cicero. You're reading the writers who shaped ancient Rome. Wow. Right? So you're engaging with literature, but you're also learning history in the process, right? So you're learning, which is actually really how history is shaped, right? It's shaped so often by ideas. If you're studying, um, you know, the Enlightenment era, you know, Europe in European history, right? You're reading the Enlightenment thinkers, right? Because they shaped all these revolutions that are happening, right? Mm-hmm. It's great to know the details of the revolution and the dates and the facts and all of that, right? But if you understand why the French Revolution happened, you have a profound insight into human nature, into human history, into the events that shape human history. Um, and I think w- when I've seen that done well, it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah, that's gorgeous. That just strikes me immediately as being right. You know, mm-hmm. you hear you hear something, and that's that's how it should be done. Yeah, that kind of strikes me as um, as that. Yeah, I think it's a problem with the way history is taught. Often, um, the concept of like a story and the unfolding of of events over time, and the reasons why things happen get lost. And you know, everybody complains about like, oh, history. You just have to memorize dates and facts, right? Like, that's such a small part of history. Um. And then even textbooks, right? Like learning history from a textbook, you're learning 
the author of the textbook's perspective on history, right? Um, and it either becomes one of two things. It can be very biased, right? Because they have a particular perspective on why things happened or what should happen, should have happened. Or you're reading something that's just facts. Yeah. Right? And, and facts are only so helpful unless you can understand the greater narrative framework in which they fit into. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, um, um, and I maybe have a couple, but do you have any thoughts on how STEM fits into the interdisciplinary structure? Yes. Like, I, oh, I mean, in well. Huntsville, especially, yeah. and kind of, you know, I know we, we think about this a lot in our school mm-hmm. systems and mm-hmm. um, whatnot. So how does algebra fit into English and history and right. um, that kind of a thing? Right. So that's, that's a really great question. I think it's something we need to cover. Um, so in general, I think, I think one of the critiques, I think it's important to recognize one of the critiques of classical education, probably one of the reasons why, you know, the public school model in the 21st century is not a classical model by any stretch of the imagination is that one of the critiques of it is it's not a STEM focused curriculum, right? And STEM is so important in the 21st century, so the story goes, because it's what gets people good jobs, and it's where all the jobs are, and the jobs are high-paying, right? Um, I think anybody in classical education would argue that um, it is not, the classical model is not antithetical to STEM, and in fact, it can really support STEM well. I think the first way it does that, which I'll get to answering your question the second way it does that, but I think the first way it does that is by ask actually by emphasizing the liberal arts, it can help people to understand why they want to do what they want to do, right? It can understand people, it can help people ask the questions of, okay, well, not just do I, you know, invent something or develop this new technology, but like, What's my goal? What do I want to, how do I want to help better society, right? It, it helps you to look at the consequences of, of things you do in science, things you do in engineering, right? And look at the, the bigger picture of it and to become truly a good engineer, um, not just a smart engineer, but a good engineer That's working right, for yeah. the good of society. The second way though, I think is a little harder answer. Um, I think I would say that, that having the, um, Subjects in dialogue with each other is a starting place. So one way that, that I see this happening um, is, so as a theology teacher, you know, when we talk about um, like logic and philosophy, which is a part of a part of my discipline, tying that into like proofs and geometry. Yeah, no, that um, really ties in. That's actually one of, just a quick interjection, that's one of the reasons why logic was so influential on me was because uh, as I got into higher level math classes, I, I noticed that those two things went together right yeah exactly so math and philosophy are are very very closely directly um related and so thus theology as well so that's something i talk about a little bit it's like because freshmen are often learning geometry too it's like there's a connection here um another one i think of is uh gosh i forgot what i was gonna say on that I forgot what you were going to say on that. You don't remember? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, so yeah, maybe I'll just jump in really quick here. Um, So I think one of the things that makes it so difficult for STEM to be implemented in this kind of, you know, quote unquote, learning in and of itself Mm -hmm. education is that math uh, in particular has a very direct application. Yeah. I mean, it Mm -hmm. has a very direct use that Mm -hmm. we're all using in our society, you know, so to kind of separate the like love of learning math from its application is, is very difficult. You know, um, it's hard to, to step away from the utilitarian right. mindset when you're learning, you know, algebra right. or calculus or, um, but I know, think so. you, you can do sure, well, absolutely. You, you know? can, I was saying it's difficult. Um, yeah. I think math, like in nature, math and nature have a, yeah. uh, you know, I remember learning about the Fibonacci sequence and right. how it's in a pine cone, right. That can actually lead you to contemplate truth, goodness, and beauty. Um, the other one I was thinking of actually is like science and faith, um, integrating those together. Sure. So yeah. talking about like, you know, freshmen are in biology. So talking about evolution and how does, how is evolution in dialogue with theology, right? How does, um, you know, how is the faith compatible with, with understanding how do scientific, um, discoveries, right. Affect the way we think about God. Um, how have scientific discoveries throughout the course of history affected the way we think about 
philosophy? How have they affected literature? Right. Right. Think of like Frankenstein as a novel that's very much responding to the scientific revolution. Um, so I think discovering and having teachers in the sciences who are who understand those connections and are constantly trying to make those connections, um, I think is a good start. Um, I think there are also, and this is something I'm not as aware of because I'm not a, uh, I'm not a STEM. I mean, technically I do teach some computer stuff, but I'm not really a STEM teacher, but I think there are in classical schools and somebody else could speak more to this, but there are specific approaches that they do take in the STEM fields to incorporate the classical model. Uh, but I think it's also important to realize that the classical model doesn't just ignore STEM. Right. Because it has a liberal arts emphasis. And in fact, there's there's a lot of evidence that, um, you know, it can enhance people's math and science skills, that it can actually improve, even though the direct, the primary goal is not just get higher test scores and get into the best colleges, that the actual, the, the model of classical education ends up leading to higher test scores. Um, so even though it's, it's, kind of a cool thing right you're not actually direct your goal isn't the test score but by learning by engaging with learning in this way it actually helps you develop the test scores and the stem skills yeah it's even on a basic level it seems like you know developing a love of learning is only going to help you learn any sort of subject so makes sense i think so yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, but that's definitely something to be interesting i do i do have some companions in in classical education who might be able to speak more to the that would be interesting yeah we'll have to learn more about that things yeah 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 any other thoughts on on this whole approach? Um, are we are we going to wrap up here? You want to be we're like fifty minutes okay. or so? So yeah, I maybe yeah okay. Maybe we'll have some final here. thoughts here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I do have kind of one final thing I'll, I'll say about classical education is that um, I think it's so important to remember um, that um, our education system is never going to be the the first and foremost educator of our of our students. You know. Uh, we could do whatever we want in the school system and that would help surely. But, uh, the family is where it starts and that's where it's always going to start. And that's always going to be the mm-hmm. most influential. Mm-hmm. So if students have, uh, you know, two parents that are like really prone to having a utilitarian mindset of, you got to get the good grades and you gotta, you yeah. gotta do this, you gotta do that. You gotta make money so you can have it, so on and so forth. Like that's, even if the student is in a classical education, like he's going to have a very hard time developing yeah. the love of learning and, yeah. um, that kind of a thing. So the family is first and foremost, you know, developing a classical sort of yeah. mindset and within the home is, is always going to be the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. Which, which believe me, that's how a lot of parents think it's, that's where the kids get it from. It's the right. utilitarian approach to the parents, which actually also reminds me of, I'm glad you brought that up because another kind of tenant I could go on. There's probably 10 more tenants of classical education I could give you. We didn't even get to the trivium or the quadri- right. quadrivium. I don't think I said that right, but, um, but another principle of it is that the parents, classical education sees the parents as the primary educators. And then the school is kind of secondary, right? The school helps facilitate the values that are already being taught in the home. So that's a tough thing to practically implement because you can't really control what, what's going on in everybody's home. Um, but the school is seen as an extension yeah. of the home. And I think that's essential to, to how we think about how children learn in general right sure yeah it seems like too that it might just be a for your information kind of a thing you know that uh classical schools recognize you know it may not be something that classical schools can work to implement you know in the family life i mean it's not really their responsibility i don't think at the end of the day yeah um it just may be like yeah hey we recognize this as being true Um, right uh, so that might be all it is yeah yeah no, no no i think i think that's that's important too. Um, I think it's in contrast to like, you know, how we think about public education, right? Um, it's very like centralized. Okay. The state's going to decide what we should learn and what our curriculum looks like when reality, like that should be going on a more local level, starting with the families. Um, I guess the last thought I have on it, um, and this is indirectly related to classical education because I think one of the things classical education strives to do and I strive to do as an educator is um, cultivate, or not cultivate, um, what am I trying to say, to help students identify what they're interested in and then seek after that, hmm. right? 
to basically follow where the desire is, where the desire to learn is. And I think that's, that's a difficult thing to do in the way we tend to approach education. Um, I think we would all, I think almost everybody would agree that school is pretty boring, right? Um, most K through 12, like nobody's like, Oh yeah. Like I I loved school. I actually did. But even then, like there were a lot of really, really boring (laughs) experiences I had in school. Right. And I think that's because we're not really helping students discover what they're interested in and chasing after that. So I guess my like last kind of point is to comment on education in general. Like I think we work students way too hard and we don't really make it interesting for them. So I think, you know, and, and COVID was a wake up call for me in this too, of just like realizing like students were just so exhausted last year. They're just so tired of everything that we went through in, in 2020 and to like try to get them to really be invested and pay attention for eight hours a day. Like it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Right. So I think we would actually benefit a lot in, in education from just giving students more time for leisure, um, during the school day, even just letting them take a break. Um, and then making the most of the time that you're engaging them in things that they're interested in. Um, and I think they'd learn a lot more from that than if we're really trying to captivate their attention constantly in a lecture for eight hours straight. That's, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. I just want to say a word about how much what you said at the beginning resonated with me about just letting students, you know, uh, education should allow students to, you know, engage their interests or discover their Mm -hmm. interests so that they can pursue that. I mean, literally the way that I thought in high school, you know, people would thinking about going to college, right. And people were asking me, okay, what do you, you know, what do you want to study? I don't know. What do you, what do you Mm -hmm. like? And literally the way that I thought was, Oh, do I like math? Yeah, I like math. Oh, do I like English? Yeah, okay. Do I like science? No, no, I don't really like science. Do I like history? Yeah. That's, I literally thought in the subjects that we learned, um, in an individual way. That's hmm. the way that I thought, yeah. you know, and so that was how I was supposed to discover what my interests were, were just in these right. like bracketed classes, right. you know? So, um, like I, I'm 28 years old and I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I, where I like to pursue, you know, learning and what I, yeah. what my purpose is, you know, and, and ultimately that's my responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think like just, I never in my education experience was set up to, discover what I really like to learn and what I really like to pursue. You know, I had to pursue that later in life. So that just resonated with me so much when you said that. Yeah. Gosh, that's such a good point. Gosh, we could keep going on, but (laughs) that's such a good point about like the, the relegate to subjects because then I, and this is the way I commonly thought about it. It's like, okay, well I like English, but what can I do with English? I can be an English teacher. Okay. If I don't want to do that, then I can't do anything with English. right? Right. So it's like, it's like, Again, it's the utilitarian mindset. It's like, oh, well, I kind of like math. What can I do with math? Oh, I could do lots of things with math. So mm-hmm. therefore, I'm going to study math in college. It's probably what happened with you. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do like math. Go ahead. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's, it's, there's something I think restricting in, in that way of approaching it. Right. And the last thing I'll say on relegating, this is one of my, like, the points I always harp on when I talk about classical education. I haven't said it yet. But I think it's so important for Christian schools, so important for Catholic schools to adopt these principles because if you don't, so this is the way we think about education. So it's all subject oriented. There's eight subjects you learn or seven subjects you learn, right? And if I'm a, an engineer, right? I care about the math and science. When I go to college, what do I do with the English classes that I, that I took that I'm not going to use anymore? Forget about it. Right. Um, and theology is taught in the same way, right? It's one of these eight subjects you learn at a Catholic school. So if I'm going to be an engineer, what do I do with the theology? I forget about it, right? Because it's taught as one aspect of my life, right? It's taught of one of the, as one of these subjects that, oh, if you want to do theology, you want to be a priest, you go study that, right? Yep. And that was actually really harmful to me because I grew up thinking, well, if I'm interested in theology, I gotta be a priest. I gotta be a priest, right? <laughs> and I realize I don't think I'm called to be a priest, right? So what's what's the purpose of all this, right? Well, you could teach. <laughs> <laughs> and so here I am teaching. Yeah. <laughs> but like you see my point. It's it's I think it's I think it's damaging to think in that way because then if somebody doesn't want to be a priest or they don't want to study theology, 
then I think it gives them the reason to forget about it until it's integrated into the curriculum in every way. Right. All right. So Catholic schools, go take our advice, go do these things. Um, everyone go to classical schools. Um, if not, at least try to incorporate some of these methods and think about how, how we're learning, right? How you're cultivating your own learning. Let's face it. You may not all be raising children or teaching children, but, Think about how, how do you learn, right? And how can you cultivate a greater love for learning in your own life? Hmm. All right. You got a wrap for us, Nick? No. Nah, I told Dylan earlier I've been working on my freestyle. Maybe one day. And yeah, next time, man. You, okay. It's been a while since you wrapped for us. I know. So you should, you should uh, it's about get time. some of that. So, start yeah. charging. Uh, all right. Well, y'all be good. Go listen to Surfaces. They're the best band on the market right now. <laughs> um, they, they do a little bit of rapping as well. Um, 21 pilots new album yeah go check it out um follow us on where you get your podcast subscribe do all those things like us on instagram get yeah look out for our stickers um and be good good work praise be jesus christ now and forever amen amen